we asked. You voted for the most binge-worthy stories of all time. Go and sin no more. Unfaithful, a love story. Sieged. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Whoa, I don't know about you, but that voiceover guy, man, that's really, really cool, really impressive. Just saying. Hey, our Bible binge story of the day is taken from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. And he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, women, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the gospel of our Lord. Dear Jesus, if it is a fault for being too kind to a sinner, then it's a fault that I learned from you. That is one of my most favorite Brennan Manning quotes. And if you would be so kind, if you haven't done so already, to text us hello, and I'll be happy to send that one out to you. And I really hope that you get it and that it, it sticks with you. I really, really do. I love it. Now, a few weeks ago, we sent out a little survey asking for your help in helping us plan out this worship series, Binge Worthy. And I thank you for participating in that. There are so many great stories in the Bible, and it's always tough to narrow them down. We asked, and you voted. Yeah, thank you for that. And the results are in from the action category in a very, very tight race. I mean, very close. Sieged, the Battle of Jericho, narrowly edged out stoned, which is about David and Goliath. Likewise, the choice for the best romance was too close to call. However, in the end, unfaithful, the story about Hosea and Gomer got the nod. That's next week. However, today, in the drama category, it was no contest. Go and sin no more was the winner, hands down, not even close. And that made me wonder why. What is it about Jesus and the woman caught in adultery? Why did this story blow all the others away in terms of must-see TV?
well, I'm not sure exactly. I guess we should have conducted an exit poll. So I'm not sure, but I'm going to take a guess or two or three. I think it's because of the grace. And I think it's because of the way in which we see Jesus. He is so cool and so kind all at the same time. And I think it's because we see ourselves in the story. Author Philip Yancey wrote something like this, that there are two different types of people in the world, and it's not, as some suppose, the guilty and the righteous. No, it's not that. Rather, there are two different types of guilty people. There are guilty people who acknowledge their wrongs and guilty people who do not. And these two different types of people converge on the scene that we have before us in John chapter 8. Now, before we get into it, I need to set the stage a little bit. The setting takes place in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. It's a festival time. It is a week-long crazy campout in the city. Picture a first-century Woodstock, only it's fully clothed and religious, and where getting stoned takes on an entirely different meaning. Jerusalem is packed. Jews from all over Israel have come to town, and Roman centurions are out in full force patrolling the area in case things get out of hand. And Jesus has been teaching away in the temple courts, and he is causing quite a stir. Why? Well, it's because he's been saying some things about God and applying it to himself. Just yesterday, he told the crowd, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Well, the reaction from the crowd is a mixed bag. Some are confused, but most are just blown away. They've never heard anyone speak like this before. And others, like the Pharisees, are absolutely furious because that's blasphemy. In fact, right then and there, they ordered his arrest. However, they can't. They can't apprehend him because of Jesus' popularity. Everybody loves this guy. And this, too, absolutely fries the religious leaders. Okay, round one's over. They'll deal with Jesus tomorrow. Well, Jesus' enemies get down to business, and they come up with a plan for round two. If they could humiliate Jesus somehow in, in front of the crowd by asking some theological stumper that Jesus couldn't possibly answer, <laughs> then he would be exposed as a fraud, and his popularity would simply fade away, and their whole Jesus problem would be over and done with. And so they set the trap. Presumably, overnight, they arrest a woman who they claim was caught in the act of adultery. Okay, this is more than weird. We've got questions, and it's interesting that Jesus doesn't ask these questions himself. Oh, such as, oh, I don't know, how do religious professionals catch someone caught in the act of adultery? There is a major creep factor going on here because you need three eyewitnesses to bring someone up on a charge like that. 
Secondly, last time I checked, it takes two. Where's the dude? The religious law states in Leviticus 20 verse 10 that both should be stoned to death. So why did they only grab the woman and not the man? Here's why. It's because they're hypocrites. This wasn't about the law, and this wasn't about adultery. This poor woman was being used as a prop in their scheme to humiliate Jesus in front of the crowd. And they bring her before Jesus. We caught her in the act. The law is clear. Stone her. What do you say? And the Pharisees are thinking to themselves, huh, we've got him now. If he shows mercy, then we get him for being soft on the law, on the religious law. But if he says, go for it, then the Roman soldiers who are looking, they're going to take him and lock him up because Jews are forbidden to execute anyone. So what's it going to be, Jesus? You picking the law of Moses or the law of Rome? And in the midst of it all stands this woman, trembling with guilt and fear and wishing she could die and believing that she's about to. Death by rocks. Her accusers stand there with stones in their hand, just waiting for the word. Well, let's hit the pause button here and let me ask you something. Have you ever held a stone in your hand? I have. Uh, you have too. Uh, churches are notorious for throwing stones. It's here I'd like to quote and paraphrase Pastor John Ortberg. He says that historically, Christian thinkers have divided sin into two categories, uh, sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit. Sins of the flesh generally involve those connected to our sinful human nature. They are things like, like lust, greed, gluttony, drunkenness, laziness. The second category, sins of the spirit, have less to do with our biology and more to do with our soul. And they have names like pride, arrogance, self-righteousness and judgmentalism. And these are not generally as colorful as sins of the flesh. People and churches are not scandalized by sins of arrogance and self-righteousness. But Jesus was. You see this all the time in the Gospels. It is a triangle. You've got the sinner of the flesh, like this woman caught in adultery, and you have the sinner of the spirit, like the judgmental Pharisee, and then, of course, you have Jesus. Go home and look these stories up, such as the sinful woman who anoints Jesus' feet, or the Pharisee and the tax collector, or the parable of the prodigal son. It's the same triangle. You got the sinner of the flesh, you got the sinner of the spirit, and then you got Jesus. Check it out, because it's super interesting that Jesus never gets worked up over the sins of the flesh. No, what really gets Jesus are the sins of the Spirit. 
C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, the sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual, the pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, the bossing and patronizing, the pleasure of power and of hatred. For there are two sinful things inside me competing with me. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. And the diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig, I love that prig, who regularly goes to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. Yes, Lord, help us drop our stones. So there they stand, this woman waiting to die, her accusers with rocks in their hands, and then the man in the middle, Jesus. Uh, the stone throwers ask him, what's it going to be, Jesus? And there is high drama going on here. The tension is crackling. Everyone is on the edge of their seats, watching, waiting. How is Jesus going to respond? And then Jesus does a really curious thing. He bends down and he starts writing something in the sand. And this is the only time in the Gospels where we see Jesus writing something down. What does he write? I'll get to that. But I have to interject something here because Jesus is so incredibly cool. Here's why. Because he knows the law. He was showing the Pharisees right then and there how attentive he was to not only the written law of the Old Testament, but also to the unwritten law as well. It's called the oral law, which are hundreds and hundreds of extra religious laws that the Pharisees added to those originally written down by Moses. Now, I told you this all took place during the festival of the tabernacles or booths. Specifically, this is the last day of the festival, and as such, this day was treated as a Sabbath day, meaning this, no one was permitted to work. And the Pharisees defined writing as work. Specifically, this is their idea now, specifically, they determined that writing something permanent with ink on paper, that was work. However, you could write in the dust with your finger. So what Jesus was doing here is he is following the religious law completely. He is saying, I'm not stupid. I'm not some country bumpkin. I know the law full well. I even know all the extra laws that you placed on top of the original. See, Jesus is showing them that he's playing exactly by their rules. Okay, so what does he write? Answer, who knows? Nobody knows. Now, I've read all kinds of theories, though. Some say he was listing the secret sins of the Pharisees, such as being a creep by peeping in on those committing adultery. Other people think that Jesus was listing the Ten Commandments. But the one that strikes me comes from Bible scholar Kenneth Bailey. He is convinced that Jesus wrote death. 
or killer or stoner with stones. Because his following words presuppose that he decreed the death penalty. He went with the law of Moses and a strict following of it. Stoner. That's his judgment because that's what she deserves. Uh, but then Jesus announced the method of execution. If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Are any of you sinless? Oh, they knew better. Isaiah 53, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. They knew Ecclesiastes 7.20, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Well, suddenly the tables have turned. Dramatically, the entire scene has changed. It's now the Pharisees who are on the hot seat and under the pressure, and each must make a decision. What's it going to be? What's well, so quiet? that you can hear a stone drop, and then another, and another, and another one, until every palm is empty. The crowd turns back to Jesus. What's he going to say? Will he say, in your face, and then drop the mic? No. All the while, he bends down a second time to write in the dust. Again, we have no clue as to what he wrote, but by looking at the ground, he chooses not to watch the public humiliation of his opponents. He doesn't gloat. No, not our Jesus. He's too kind for that. It's a really nice touch. Jesus takes no pleasure in humiliating someone. You look at Jesus, and he is so cool, and he is so kind. He loved people when they least deserved it and when they least expected it. Now, obviously, we can see Jesus' love for the woman, but also note his love for those misguided, arrogant Pharisees. Well, the stage is empty, and Jesus stands alone with the accused. The Pharisees plan to humiliate Jesus in front of the crowd, and yet they themselves went away in shame. A few minutes earlier, the terrified woman had expected violence and a terrible death. Well, now that anger has shifted, and the violence and the death has a new target. It's not the woman anymore. No, now it's on Jesus. Circling back to Ken Bailey, at great cost, Jesus has shifted the hostility away from the woman and onto himself. She knows, and Jesus knows, that they'll be back, but not for her, for him. And they're going to come back with a bigger stick. Now, this wasn't finished. There will be around three. 
And there will be a bigger stick, a cross-shaped one at that. Jesus will get rocked because of what he has done for her. She is the recipient of a costly demonstration that has saved her life. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. In his final words to the woman, please notice that Jesus neither condemns her nor does he overlook her self-destructive lifestyle. Jesus does not deny her sin. He does not excuse her sin. No, Jesus is not soft on the law. He does not tolerate any form of sin. So much so that he will do something about it. He removes it. He pays for her sin. He takes on her sin. He will own her sin. Jesus knows the law, and he keeps the law. God's divine justice will be carried out. It won't be forgotten. It will happen. There will be a penalty for this. But it won't be on her. It'll be on him. He takes the sin. He takes the penalty all the way to the cross. Look. He's the man in the middle. He's writing something again. He's leaving a message for her, for me, for you. He's writing again, not in the sand, but on a cross, and not with his finger, but with his blood. What is he writing there? His message has just two words, not guilty. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go now and leave your life of sin. And that's how the movie ends. Like so many stories from and about Jesus, the ending is missing. How did this woman respond? She knows that Jesus will suffer for what he's done for. Will the knowledge of the price paid for her salvation become a life-changing force in her life? Will she leave her life of sin? How will she respond? Will it make any difference in her life? Will it? Does it? I'm asking you, you, I'm asking myself, we're all over this story. We are the woman and we are the stone throwers. Does knowing what Jesus has done for you make any difference? 
do you have any stones that you need to let go of? We know, don't we? That there is no room in Jesus' community for throwing stones. And we're all too broken for that. A fallen people are in no position to throw stones. As I said from the get-go by summarizing Philip Yancey, that there's two different types of people in the world, and it's not, as some suppose, the guilty and the righteous. No, it's not that, but rather two different types of guilty people. There are guilty who acknowledge their wrongs and guilty who do not. And I would add a third. There are guilty people who acknowledge their wrongs and they come to Jesus and they are declared not guilty. They, we, go to the cross again and again and again and again, and they, we, drop our stones and we leave our life of sin. Amen.